Hundred bands in my pocket, it's on me. Hundred deep when I roll like the army. Get my bottles, these bottles are lonely. It's a moment when I show up, got them saying wow. Hundred bands in my pocket, it's on me. Yeah, your grandma more probably know me. Get my bottles, these bottles are lonely. It's a moment when I show up, got them saying wow. A little post Malone to start the show. Welcome everybody, you're listening to NYC, N-Y-S-E-A, we're talking sports and a whole lot more from Coast to Coast, Will Sanchez, Dory Bennett, and hey Dory, we have a uh, very special guest, would you like to introduce our guest today? We do, Will, we have uh, a very dear friend, one of my favorite people in the world, and that's not an overestimation on how much I really enjoy and uh, treasure the friendship of Bob Scanlon, former major league pitcher. Nine years in the major leagues, so he knows what he's talking about. Currently with the San Diego Padres and Fox Sports field reporter, Bob, welcome to the show. Oh, Dory, thank you so much. I love you. Great to be able to talk some sports with you. Will, great to be on with you guys. And uh, it's so fun to be on your show because I was there for your first live show. I know what a great job you guys are doing. So thanks for inviting me on to talk some baseball tonight. Yeah, we like to apologize for that uh, first show. <laughs> what an introduction. No, just kidding. Listen, Bob, we really appreciate you uh, you taking some time to join us. And um, it's been a little uh, interesting on the West Coast down there. Um, I, well, before we even get to that, Bob... I, Listen, I, I apologize for starting off this way, but I have to critique you right off the bat. All right. Uh-oh. So okay. you're down in Arizona right now watching yeah. some uh, some spring baseball. And then I see you posted on your Twitter, ha- Twitter handle that uh, you're having some difficulties with ice on your windshield. Is, is that correct? Right. Oh, man, you too. All right, I took so much heat for this. This is unbelievable. Yeah, so I've never come to spring training. It's been so cold out here. I come outside, and I've got a sheet of ice on my windshield. Now, I'm a West Coast guy. I have no idea what to do with this ice, right? I'm turning on the wipers, nothing. I start trying to chip at it with a credit card, nothing. I, I'm taking the keys to my car. I can't get through this thing. So finally, I'm like, the only way I'm going to be able to drive to the ballpark this morning is if I if I melt this ice off my car. So I go in, I get a warm cup of, of water and I start pouring it on and sure enough it's just melting the ice. So and so I, I tweet it and I accidentally I, I mistakenly, much to my chagrin now, use the word hot water and I just got deluged with tweets of everybody just saying what an idiot I was and I'm gonna crack the windshield and what are you doing, you fool. So I finally, finally, the Machado news came out, and I said, "Thank God, thank God, God. we announced Manny Machado just so people could get off my butt about trying to get ice off of my car." So, 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 so did the organization do that on purpose? They saw your Twitter handle just kind of go crazy off of this, uh, so uh, quote unquote, hot water going on a ice frozen windshield, and um, and if, I, I think it would have been a better story if the windshield would have cracked and it was actually hot water, and uh, and then it would have been uh, great. But uh, I want wanted to uh, just start out the show there. So listen, I appreciate that. Will. Uh, yeah, so you're, you're welcome. Uh, and and wait, Bob, I think we lost Thank Bob. You. Bob is hung up on us. Uh, we appreciate the three minutes he shared with us to tell that story. So if you need any advice, right, we, we have the, 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 the Northeast kid from New York. I wish I was a kid. I'll tell you what. There's a reason I live in California, <laughs> and I, I'm hoping that I never have to use my lack of skills again. You know, the, I spent one winter in Chicago when I was with the Cubs, yep. and it was only one. 
but I made all kinds of crucial mistakes out there too. Like I went, I went on a vacation for a week and you know, in California, you shut off your heater, you shut everything down. So I did that. I came back. <laughs> the entire interior of the house was frozen. Oh my God. <laughs> so You're lucky I, the pipes lucky didn't burst. That's exactly right. Yeah. And the only reason they didn't was because there was a leak in one of the bathroom <laughs> sinks upstairs. Otherwise, and it was my, my teammate's house, too, Paul Ossenmacher. He was like, oh, look, Ossenmacher, yeah. And, yeah, so the off-season, I'd have some explaining to do to Paul if I would busted all the pipes and flooded his house. So did he look at you <laughs> anyway. sideways saying, what? Did, I got the California kid staying with me here. Yeah, exactly. And, and, uh, exactly. and he doesn't know how to handle ice. So uh, the, the easiest way, go get some Rain-X, put it all over your glass on the front and the back, and then wipe it on. It's the lazy man's way of kind of, you know, getting all that stuff to go. So you won't have to deal with it. And I hear that Phoenix in, in Arizona has been getting yeah. snow. And I have some friends in Vegas. They've gotten snow. They have no idea what was falling out of the sky. They thought it was like ashes from a volcano. I was like, no, that's snow. So <laughs> everyone's kind of going through all these issues right now in all these warm climate areas. Um, I'm curious to see when baseball season finally starts, which is going to be sooner than later, and it starts in these cold uh, cities. How, uh, yeah. how are uh, these baseball players going to um, – handle those type of things bob to start out the season if you were pitching or you know you're there with your teammates and you had to start you know you know the beginning of march uh your season and you go to minnesota and it's about 26 degrees how difficult is that from coming from spring training warm weather climates to then go into a a city that's freezing and all of a sudden you know everything hurts yeah, I, I went through that multiple times. I yeah. had three years with the Cubs, two years with the Milwaukee Brewers, and on multiple opening days, it was literally like 16 degrees. You know, they're, they're shoveling ice off of the infield, you know, that type of thing. You should have taken a lesson there. Yeah, I should have seen what they were doing. They, they, weren't, they weren't using a cup of water, so I should have known right there. But, uh, yeah, no, it's definitely a factor, and all you do is you hope you're the home team because you're going to have better heaters and you're dug out in your bullpen than the opposing team. Um, but there's there's no getting around it. I mean, it's no. just it's it's tough. It's miserable. The only good thing from a pitcher standpoint, I felt like, look, it's not going to be easy for me to get loose initially. But once I get loose, I can pretty much stay warm and it's fine. Whereas opposed to the hitters, they never get warm. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're standing in the outfield. They try to warm up a little mm. bit when they come back into the dugout. But when they go up to hit, they don't want anything on their hands. So for the first month of the season, man, I was going two-seam fastballs in on their hands. I love it. And, <laughs> and just trying to make life as miserable as I possibly could for them. Uh, those hands are stinging. Oh my God, that's great. Go ahead, yeah, Dory. Yeah. So, so Bob, let's uh, let let's let's get into. It. Well, first of all, if if it's this cold in Arizona, and for spring training, then those cold weather climates when they have to start, everybody will be ready for it. You'll all know what how many layers to wear, when to take the layers <laughs> off, how to warm up. I mean, really, maybe this is just a little bit of quote unquote spring training for the cold start of the of the season. Yeah, that's a great point, and I think some of these guys are, are surprised that they've got the double jackets out already and everything. But you know, maybe they will be more ready for the cold weather. Who knows? Never so, know. I mean, that, that could be the silver lining in all of this. Exactly. I love silver linings. You know that the story behind the story. As we're getting into the story behind the story, and uh, we're so amazed at at how this deal came about with Manny Machado coming to the Padres. Can can you give us some insight and and what was happening on the Padres side? so that everybody, our audience, uh, has an inside inside piece of information for how this deal came together. 
Well, I think it, it, there's multiple facets to it. I think you really have to look at where are the Padres as an organization? What is going on? And for those that don't know, basically, they've been going through a re- rebuild over the last several years, and they've really stocked this organization up with a lot of exciting young talent. I mean, you ask anybody in Major League Baseball, and they say, you know, who's got the best minor league system, who has the most talent, and by far and away, it's the Padres, hands down. So that's kind of where where the organization is. Um, and as far as what are the top pieces of that talent, one of them is a shortstop named Fernando Tatis Jr. He's the son of Fernando Tatis, who, of course, you know, played in the big leagues, former teammate of mine. And Tatis Jr. is the second-ranked prospect in all of Major League Baseball, and he's a shortstop. The problem is the Padres, there's one position that they have not been deep in this minor league system, and it's been third base. They tried Hector Villanueva over there last year. That didn't play out as exactly as they wanted to. He ended up going over to, to, to Japan. Will Myers went over there for a little while towards the end of the season. That didn't really play out as quite that well either. So there's this big hole on the left side of the infield. And the question was, well, what do you do? Do you put Tatis over at third base instead of shortstop, and you bring in a, a part-time shortstop to fill in? Do you try to find a third baseman? So all of these things were being discussed since last season um and right. what was the answer well apparently at some point during the offseason aj preller says to andy green our manager you know what about if we get manny machado and apparently andy green just laughed at him <laughs> so, yeah <laughs> right yeah I, i'd love that but uh you know and aj was serious about it and we've seen that aj has been very dynamic uh when the first year that he came on board of course he was you know, getting Matt Kemp and he was getting James Shields and they really tried to build this thing up. Of course, they had to break it back down. But the point is, he is not a guy to sit on his hands. He's been very uh, proactive in terms of making things happen. So they reached out to Manny. And, and I think at the time, Manny was really looking at the East Coast. He was very outspoken early on in his free agency. Look, I'd like to go back to the East Coast. That's really where I want to be. That being said, he obviously kept an open mind. And in the meantime, the Padres are looking at it. And as, as nobody else is stepping up and putting a lot of money for Machado, the Padres re-reached out to him about a month ago and said, hey, we're still here. We're still interested. You know, keep, keep us in mind, so to speak. Um, and, and credit to the, the Padres front office. First of all, they've, they've been consistent with sticking with this this development of the young players. But also there's been a lot of criticism about, well, why don't you go out and spend more money? Well, they did last year. They, they spent more money than anybody in the free agent market last year bringing on Eric Hosmer. Before that, they spent over $100 million in bringing in all of this young talent, both from the United States and internationally. So there has been investment by this ownership group. But this really made a statement to Padre fans. This made a statement to all of Major League Baseball and certainly the National League West that not only do we have this great batch of young talent that's on the cusp, but now we're complementing it with maybe one of the most uh, you know, dynamic young free agents to, to ever hit the, the free agent market at age 26, six, along with Bryce Harper. Um, and he fills the, the fit perfectly over on the left side of the infield. Um, and it, it's just... It, you couldn't ask for anything more. This is exactly how you build an organization. Not only do they have the young players, but now they've brought in a marquee guy that can help be the bell cow, so to speak, for these young players, especially on the left side of that infield with Tatis Jr. to mentor him. Um, and this is a guy that can do it on both sides of the ball. It's a big financial investment. But if you look at it from the Padres standpoint, look, they're not going to pay a lot of money for these young guys over the next four or five years until they right. get to arbitration. So they can afford to take on this this $30 million a year uh, chunk to their payroll, and they're going to have Manny Machado during his prime years. So you know, the ages 27 through 31, where most guys really explode. So it's a great match. Manny seemed to be excited to be here. It was a wonderful press conference today. He said all the right things. 
Uh, and it's, it's, a, it's really it's a seminal moment in, in Padres baseball. You know, you said you, you, you hit the nail on the head when you talked about you're getting a premier athlete at 26 years old. And that is something that I want to discuss later with you um, about when these elite athletes or players in general are hitting free agency, right? And the fact that you're getting him and you're getting Harper to become free agents at such a young age is really uh, something that's important for an organization, like you mentioned. But besides the money, right? And by the way, did you um, are you getting any of that three hundred million dollars? Has that been written into the contract first and foremost for you? Yeah, actually, I, I'm getting half of his signing bonus. So the twenty million dollars signing bonus is coming over to me. Um, I'm going to be relocating to Las Vegas, so I don't have to pay taxes on it. Oh my god, brilliant! So, yeah. You're brilliant. I love yeah. it. I hey, love Dory, it. we're going to have a great yeah. party, girl. Hey, I, you know what? I can't wait because when you when you said that, my eyes lit up. I remember the last time we were all in Vegas. And, oh, no. and <laughs> okay, this, this is a family program. Let me right? hit the mute. No, it's not. Right now. <laughs> He's got the dump button ready. Um, so, <laughs> so actually, I mean, what, what, the, absolutely a great piece of insight and information. I'm wondering two things. How much did what the White Sox were doing and offering Manny play into the Padres deciding on what they wanted to offer Manny? Yeah, that's a great question. And I actually just heard some interesting sort of behind the scenes information about the White Sox offer. So apparently all said and done, the White Sox offer would have given Manny uh, more money. So they were offering more overall dollars. The, the trick of it was it was guaranteed money up to year seven, I think it was. And then years eight, nine and ten, it was based on the number of at bats that he had in the season. So if he had gotten the 450 or 500 bats or whatever the magic number was, he actually would have made more money over the course of the contract that the White Sox were offering. But obviously Manny said, look, I, I, I don't, I'm not interested in that. I want to have the guaranteed money that the, that the Padres are offering. So more money was offered by the White Sox, but, but, but the way they were offering it in terms of being incentive-based seemed to be a disincentive to him to go over there. And so in, in that sense, you could say that the Padres sort of out-negotiated the Reds or the White Sox. But I think there's another element to it as well. And I think it is just, look, he had a great meeting with A.J. Preller and Ron Fowler uh, and Peter Seidler. That's the ownership group and the leadership of the Padres. And he said, very frankly, today, he said, look, a lot of this was just the sense of family that I got being with the Padres. I know that my wife is going to be comfortable yeah. here. I, and, and that's really what he wanted to be a part of. He wanted to be a part of something special, a part of being something that was family based, a part of something that he was really uh, has a chance to make history by leading the uh, championship to the first time of the city of San Diego. And I think all those things were just as compelling as, as the guaranteed money, to be honest with you. Well, when you talk money, sorry, sorry, Will, but I mean, not money, but family. Didn't his brother-in-law just sign with White Sox? Yeah, so that, it was interesting. And that was one of the debates during this whole off-season campaign was look at all the people that the White Sox were bringing over that had connections with Manny. So yes, Yonder Alonso and, is his brother-in-law. And Yonder's his best sister, friend, right? And, and yeah, his closest friend, John Jay, is one of his best friends in baseball. He's over there as well. So there, there were a lot of compelling reasons from a, a family standpoint. And, and Manny was asked about that today. He said, you know, was it difficult for you to not go over to the White Sox, especially with so many you know, immediate family members of your over there? And he said, yeah. And he actually, you know, he got quiet there for a few seconds. And he said, mm -hmm. you know, and that was very, very difficult. But at the same time, 
it was John Jay and Yandra Alonso who had played here in San Diego previously that continued to tell him what an amazing city San Diego is. They had great experiences here. So credit to them for being honest with Manny and saying, look, we would love to have you here at the White Sox, obviously, and this is family. But at the same time, we had great experiences over there in San Diego. If that is where your heart is calling you, uh, then you need to go. And that's obviously what the calling was. And one more family question. Okay. Your Mm brother-in-law is with the Los Angeles Dodgers. So what did, did, did Jose chime in were you able to have that conversation with jose and what did he have to say about this you know it's interesting yeah yeah, jose is is a special assistant with with the dodgers and you know what's interesting is yeah jose this guy you know my brother-in-law he had a he had an opportunity to be around Manny last year. And I'm not going to lie. I, I picked Jose's brain and just said, Hey, how was he? You know, how, how was it over there? And, uh, you know, Jose said nothing but great things to say about Manny in terms of his work ethic, obviously a great athlete. Um, also his sense of the game, he has great intuition and also how he treated his teammates over there. So nothing but, but glowing reports. And I, and I know everybody in the Padres organization, look, it's a big baseball family, right? Everybody yes. knows people. And so literally they're reaching back. Anybody that played with one of his, coaches that was part of Baltimore the last few years, you know, other people that knew players in the Dodgers organization, anybody that knew anybody that was connected to Manny in any way over the last <laughs> 10 years of his professional career uh, was reached out and they did everything they could to vet him as much as possible. And uh, obviously they felt comfortable with who they were bringing on board. And uh, hopefully it's a, it's a great match. Staying along those lines, as far as people reaching out, do you know if um, management reached out to Buck Walter throughout this process? I don't know that for sure, but I would be surprised if somebody within our organization, you know, didn't have some connection. Some kind of conversation there. Yeah, yeah. I can't tell you specifically, yes, it happened or what was said or anything. But I can tell you that in talking to our front office, again, they they reached out to as many people as they possibly could. He was fully vetted. And at no point did I hear anybody say, gosh, you know, we were getting kind of some mixed reviews. Um, from yeah. everything I heard, all the reviews were 100%. This guy is, this is a gamer. He's intense. He shows up. He plays hard every day. Uh, and he's a great guy to have on your ball club, not just the, the physical tools that he brings, but also that, that energy that he brings each day. And he makes the guys around him better. I mean, that that's the sign of any leader. And anybody that takes on that leadership position, if they make the people around them better and the, they make those people want to be better, then then, man, get him to sign on the bottom line. No doubt. That's a great point, Dory. And I, and I think that's the other part of this is that it's sort of taken for granted that older players are all great mentors towards the youngsters, right? I mean, it's sort of, you hear that all the time. And, and honestly, a lot of times it's a cliche that's thrown around so much. And there's it, people on the inside know that, uh, no, not really. <laughs> he, he's a veteran <laughs> player, but he's a selfish SOB. And right. all he really cares about is getting his and getting his numbers. And if there's a young player that might be pushing him for playing time somewhere, he's not going to help that young guy. We see that all the time. I'm right. not going to say it's a pretty part of the game. So when you get a player who clearly understands what his job is on the team and is embracing it and says, look, I- I've known for Fernando Tatis Jr. since you know he was a little kid and he's idolized me for the last five years. And now I've got an opportunity to be to him what uh, J.J. Hardy was to me in Baltimore. Mm. I get a chance to return that favor. Um, he's, he's looking forward to it, and it's, it's a special thing. And it's an, an unique situation in terms of, you know, six years in the big league, so he's a veteran, but still only 26 years old. 
Right. So he's close enough in age to these guys that he can still relate to them and understand what they're going through and remembers what it was like to, to be that young guy coming up himself and remembers what it was like to be mentored and how important it was to him. Uh, and he expressed all that today in the press conference. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it happen. You know, I wonder, uh, and you mentioned uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. and the position he plays. He plays shortstop. And last year, Manny had uh, mentioned to Baltimore that he wanted to move from third base to shortstop. And I'm pretty sure that conversation with the Padres uh, had something to do with the position. I, obviously, I don't, I'm not there, and I don't know to what extent. Um, but he makes the team better leaving that opening for Tatis to come in at shortstop and to still play gold glove third base so i wonder what was there a challenge to say hey third base is better suited for you so we could bring up tatis and not move him around or you know i I wonder what was uh if there was any kind of sticking point when it comes to position or if it was just kind of a hey whatever's going to make this team better let's get these kids up let's get this team going and maybe it's not 2019 but maybe 2020 we're really making a hard push and trying to get this team back to the playoffs the first time since what 2006 yeah well i i have no doubt that that was something that manny had to give some serious contemplation to i know that he wanted to play shortstop as you mentioned that was one of the big things he you know he went to free agency that's why he was so excited to join the dodgers get a chance to play shortstop he went into the offseason looking for a shortstop opportunity and he didn't deny that today at the press conference either uh, i mean he made it clear that look I wanted to play shortstop. I know that I can play shortstop, but you know, there's certain situations that you look at it and you just realize that I am going to be more needed in a different position. And it's such a unique situation here in San Diego with this young talent, with a young player like Tatis Jr. to take over the shortstop spot. I mean, I, again, this is, this isn't just wasn't about the money. You can tell that he's put some thought into this and says, look, I've really got a chance to make an impact and, and have a legacy here in San Diego. Um, and how am I going to do that? By playing third base. Okay, I'm going to play third base, and I'm going to do it the best I can and at the same time mentor this young shortstop next to me. So clearly something that he's thought about. Clearly it was something that he wrestled with, and he's come to terms with it. And it's not even a situation, guys, where he said, look, let me play shortstop at, you know, for the first couple months of the season until Tatis <laughs> is ready, and then I'll slide over for you guys. No, no, no. He, he said, look. Third base is where I need to be. Let me just start there, be there, uh, and you know that way there's no question about it when Tatis is ready to go, whether it's the first day of the season or more likely maybe a month or two into the season, uh, that position will be waiting for, for him. So uh, he, he's, it was certainly an issue, and he seems to have resolved it within himself. You're listening to Bob Scanlon, former Major League Baseball pitcher. He's with the San Diego Padres and also does work for Fox Sports. He's their field reporter and uh, and so much more uh, with the organization there with San Diego Padres. Bob, as a former baseball player, is it true or would you recommend, like if you had to talk to him and say, you know what, staying at third base might actually give you some more longevity with your career. Shortstop is such a difficult position, uh, having those quick twitch muscles and, and, and moving left, moving right, turning double plays. You know, as a player, what what's the easier of the position? What do you think is going to be uh, easier on your body as a baseball player from those two positions? You make a great point. I don't think there's any question that the shortstop position is going to put a greater toll on your on your body over the course of a, of a career. But that being said, you look at guys like Ozzy Smith and Omar Vizquel and Cal Ripken, and you know there's certainly been Barry Larkin, plenty of guys who have played that premium position and been able to put together very long and successful careers. Derek Jeter, 
you know, the, the most recently. Um, so it, it can be done. I don't think that that really came into his thought process in terms of his own personal stuff. And he mentioned that today as well, because he was asked about his personal numbers in terms of, you know, you're on pace to be a Hall of Famer. Look at the numbers that you've put up for the first few years of your career. Have you thought about hitting in Petco? Have you thought about being in the National League, how that's going to affect your, your numbers? And he said, look, I'm really not that concerned with my numbers. I'm going to go out and play. I'm going to play the best that I can. My, my ability and my numbers have sort of have spoken for themselves over the last five or six years. What I'm interested in is winning. I want to win a championship. Uh, so forget my numbers. You know, all I care about is is trying to get this this team to the postseason, doing it as quickly as possible with this this great group of young players that are coming up. And that was really his focus. So I, I don't think the, the going to third base had to be sold on him in terms of, hey, this is going to be better for your personal career. I think it was more a thing of this is what's going to be better for your legacy in terms of what's going to bring championship baseball to San Diego. Manny Machado being at third base. You know, it's funny that you mentioned the yeah. championship. And and, and it, it it's funny. It, I thought about basketball. I'm a basketball fan. I'm a sports fan, period. And, you know, we talked about, uh, you know, we hear about Kevin Durant and his uh, upcoming free agency. And say, like, well, he could go back to Golden State or he could go to the Lakers and win a championship. But if he went to someplace like the Knicks and win one championship, your legacy is cemented. And the same thing with the Machado. If he would have went to the Yankees or, or the Red Sox or one of these other teams, he wins a championship. He's just a part of the puzzle. But if he goes to San Diego with the Padres and leads them back to the World Series since 1998, a, a win a World Series, which has never been done in that organization, There's they're, they're, the, the San Diego Chargers are gone. To For that city, that town, and, and that part of the West Coast, for him to win one championship, his legacy will be cemented. His na- his number will eventually be retired. They'll have Manny Machado, Bobblehead Day, you know, <laughs> you you name it is going to happen. So it is he's taking on a bigger challenge, but if he achieves the ultimate goal, he will be remembered forever. I think they may already be casting the the, the bronze statue. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, the bobblehead day and everything else. Uh, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, you he would be just, uh, and, and again, it wouldn't just be him. I mean, it would be everybody else around him as yeah. well. But if he continues to be, but the he's that he's, he's the in, big name that came you, first. So that, you would think, yeah, yeah and yeah. and that's the plan. I mean, hopefully he is, you know, the guy that's leading this thing, and and he. You know, plays here for 10 years and, and puts together a Hall of Fame career, and he's the next Padre Hall of Famer to enter, uh, and all and the statue goes up, and all the things that you know you and I have just we've all just talked about here for the last few minutes. And, um, yeah, that that's the plan, and obviously that is not always a selling point. Look, some guys don't want to be that guy. Yeah. Some guys don't want to be the, you know all that pressure on them, and you know it's all riding on you, and we're depending on you. Some guys don't want to be that guy. They're they're perfectly happy just being another piece of the puzzle of a Yankee ball club um, and, and, you know, contributing and being a part of it, but not having to be the man, so to speak, and, and getting their ring and being a part of the parade and all that kind of good. And that's fine. I mean, that, this is not a judgment thing at all. It takes a special person to say, look, I'm willing to take that on and I want to be that leader. And Manny is clearly one of those guys. So what do you see? I'm just wondering what, what happened with ticket sales, season ticket sales for the San Diego Padres? Uh, have 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 any of those numbers been going off the charts since the signing? <laughs> I would imagine. I <laughs> I haven't uh, had privy to that. Uh, Eric Rutner, our, our 
president of the ball club, I'm sure, is <laughs> watching the ticket sales <laughs> zoom through the roof. I think they accidentally had the Manny Machado jerseys out for sale in the team store a day too soon. Uh-oh. <laughs> and they had to bring those back Uh-oh. in. You know, it was really interesting because the rumors started coming out when, was it Wednesday, I think it was? And all the Twitter and everything. Yep. And yes. So yes. everybody was excited about it. And yeah, Busta Olney and uh, Jeff uh, Passan and Jeff Passan was yep, yep exactly yep, yep, all and but they couldn't talk about it at all and so they actually had a, a press conference where Ron Fowler and Peter Seidler came out and they said yeah we we have an announcement to make the announcement is we have nothing to announce <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know we we are in negotiations uh, we are in discussions and that's all we have to say about that and it's more than just being coy it there's yeah. actually legal ramifications. Mm. If they come out and publicly say that, you know, they have a deal in place, well, you know, God forbid something happens in the physical and they find out that there's something debilitating about Manny and he's not going to be able to honor the contract or play or whatever it may be. I I guess there's certain legal ramifications that come back and say, well, look, you guys announced that there's a deal. So even if it's not inked, um, there are legal reasons that they had to be careful about it. So it was interesting to see the tap dancing that was going on with ownership and Andy Green getting asked every day about his new third baseman. (laughs) So it was sort of a relief today that everybody got a chance to finally talk about it. And really there was a big roar in the clubhouse today, I understand, from uh, the players in terms of the the press conference was going on. All the players were in the clubhouse watching it. And they were asked about it afterwards. Hey, did you guys get a chance to see it? And the players were saying, well, we were trying to watch it, but everybody was yelling and screaming and having so much fun that we really couldn't (laughs) hear what was being said. So it definitely has a buzz, not just in the city. Um, but in the in the clubhouse as well, and that kind of excitement is is absolutely contagious. I mean, it really is. And think about, it. I mean, the Padres are the only game in town because the San Diego State, great university, they have their yep. own fan base. But the professional fan base really does come from another clientele, another set, another set of people. So, how exciting is it to have? I, I'm just thinking that they have to be absolutely over the top excited for this team this year and everything that's being generated with a Manny Machado on the team. So you're a big football gal. I know that. And, and you, yeah. you know how important football is to the city of San Diego and, yeah. and how much it hurt people to lose the Chargers. It's a shame. I mean, it just flat out, it's it a really shame. Was. It's a it, shame. It, I, I've called them the San Diego Chargers for every show that we've done. Yes. I can't get around. I refuse it. I'm going to be stubborn. It's okay. Everybody can hate me. <laughs> Yeah. They're the San Diego yeah. Chargers. I'm, I'm waiting for them to go back. They learned their lesson. They made a mistake. <laughs> Let's pack up the trucks. Let's get them back down to San Diego. Yeah. Well, they I didn't think, have I that, that only, stadium. Yeah. I think that only happens, honestly, if there's a change in ownership. I, I think that would mm. be the only way that the, the city and the fan base would welcome them back. If right. they did, if there was a – because there's just so much animosity that was built oh. up between the Spanos family and the, and the city, and then the fans felt betrayed and backstabbed, understandably so. Yes. Um, I'm not saying that it was in, more any – anyone's fault more than another. I think it was a team effort all around of complete uh, dysfunction and yeah. not keeping in it. And the fans were the ones that paid the price in the yeah. city of San Diego. Um, that being said, look, you're, you're, you hit on a great point, Dory. There's a, a, a big void here. Yep. There's never been a championship here. Mm. Whether, you know, when the Clippers were here, the Chargers were here, the Potteries have been here. There's never been a big pro championship. So uh, the, the time is right. Everything, the opportunity is here. And I think sports fans in San Diego need this. You know, they I mean, do. they need this 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 pumping arm to say, look, uh, we were we were dissed by our football team. Um, our baseball team hasn't been able to win much the last couple of years, and but they they understand what this organization yeah. is trying to do, and now to make 
a move like this where you have the largest free agent signing in the history mm. of professional sports in North America. I mean, that, that makes quite a statement. And I think the city is uh, really ready for it. Well, as a Seattle resident, I have a huge smile on my face for San Diego because San Diego really is my second home. San Diego is my second home because of all the yeah, family we have we have down there. And I can't wait to get back down there and and really seriously experience uh, the Padres and and what what you guys have going on down there. So this this will be exciting. I'm so excited for the baseball season. And Bob, I I'm only excited for the baseball season when the Padres come to Seattle and then when I get to go down to the <laughs> down to San Diego. Now I it'll know. be for the whole season. Now it's going to be Perfect. for the whole we season. We got to get you down there. You know there's always big open arms waiting for you down in San Diego, mm, I'm loving it. So Bob, you're talking about the competition and um and what it's going to take for the San Diego. We obviously we want the Padres to eventually get to the championship, but they're going to have to go through a tough NL West and uh, with the Dodgers, the Giants, the Padres, the Rockies, and the Diamondbacks in that division, uh, the Dodgers have pretty much had a, a hold and have pretty much, uh, I don't know, I don't know how much they've invested in players and made trades. We saw Machado last year. They've been chasing this elusive championship. Um, it's the last year for the skipper from uh, San Francisco. He's going out. The Rockies have been really good. The Diamondbacks mm-hmm. are, have taken a step back. They, they, they're going through some changes. But what is it going to take for the Padres if it's not 2019 you know, what is it going to take? What do you think are some of the missing pieces now for this team to say, okay, here we go. Let's try to win this NL West. It's going to be tough this year. As we talked about, it's a very young ball club. And they're, it, it, it's not quite ready yet. It's not their time. We're going to see a lot of these young players come up this year. But the big question mark is really the starting pitching. It's going to be a very young rotation. Um, are there some great arms along the way? No question about it. We saw Eric Lauer last year, mm-hmm. Joey Lucchese, um, but we've got some other big arms that are on the way. We've got Chris Paddock, uh, Mackenzie Gore, uh, Anderson Espinosa, Michelle Baez, um, Cal Quantrill. I mean, th- there's literally wow. 10, 10. Yeah, you you just mentioned all your top uh, minor leaguers, right? You have, you, yeah. you talked about that uh, incredible number one, um, top 100, your MLB rank. Uh, with the San Diego Padres uh, minor league system, you mentioned right off the back three of those uh, top prospects in the top 100. Are they all coming up this year or eventually? Or what, what do you think? What's your feeling about that? I think there's a good chance we'll see Chris Paddock this year. I think Logan Allen, I've gotten a chance to see both of them this spring training, very polished young pitchers, um, and they're fighting for an opportunity to actually break with the team on, on opening day. So Are they all starters or, or do you think they're, yeah, they're going to be in the bullpen? Those- Nope, all those guys are starters. They're all starters. Uh, we've got some big bullpen arms as well. We've got a young kid named Munoz who throws 100 miles an hour. We've got several kids actually in the organization that are, are above 100-mile-an-hour fastball guys. Um, and our bullpen last year was solid as it was with Kirby Yates and Craig Stammen, Wingenter, Jose Castillo. Uh, you know, We had a bunch of big young arms come up last year that, that really solidified things. So it's really the, the, mature, the, the maturation process of these young starters that's going to take the next couple of years. Um, and there's a whole other wave of, of young talent on the way as well. So it, it's not just, hey, there's going to be a small two- or three-year window for these guys. The, the way the Padres have done it, and this is by design, this was meant to be a sustained long-term thing of we are going to contend, we're going to contend for a long period of time, yeah. and it's, and we're doing it not by going out and going after veteran uh, free agents. We're going to do it primarily 
from the inside and it's it's uh been long overdue it never guarantees anything but they're certainly going about the right way of getting it done hey hey bob can i ask you a question here what are they feeding these kids now that we weren't (laughs) fed that it's like ah they're throwing 100 miles an hour he's hitting 101 he's at 99 I mean, that wasn't the norm. You had very few players. You know, I, I think about Pedro, and I, I think about some of the other hard throwers in our game. And if you hit 95, 96, you would consider a hard thrower. And that's a change-up for some of these guys. What has happened with the development of these players, and how sustainable is that with, with the kids in their bodies, uh, the way they're throwing the ball nowadays? Great question. I think a lot of people are sort of wondering that same thing. First and foremost, obviously, guys are getting bigger and stronger. There's no stronger, question about faster. it. Yeah, it's just yeah. it's the evolution of, of, you know, the human being and guys are training better. They're being taught how to train better earlier on in their careers. They're getting better not only in terms of, uh, you know, not how, how to work out in the gym, but actually the training that they're getting in travel ball and in all these other mm-hmm. things. So you're getting better, more polished athletes stronger guys to begin with that's number one um i'm, I'm going to be a conspiracy theorist on this as well i love in it in terms of go ahead buddy the, the radar guns okay there's no doubt in my mind Ooh. that there is a difference in the radar guns and how guys are being measured not i'm not going to say that there aren't more hard throwers than there used to be because it makes sense the technology is, is new and it's more accurate now right well yes and no so when i was coming up they had two different types of gun they had a ray gun and a jugs gun and the difference was where the gun picked the ball up as it was going towards home plate, right? Yep. So the jugs gun was considered the faster gun, and that was measuring as it was leaving your hand. Whereas the ray gun, which is what was normally used, was what the velocity is as the ball is actually entering the hitting zone. And the reason they use that is because that's really what's relevant, right? How yep. fast is the ball going when the guy has to hit it? So, yep. And there would be about a four or five mile an hour difference in that. And so, you know, so what they do now is they – they only measure it out of the hand. So that alone is going to add about four or five miles an hour onto it. But the other thing that's going on is to your point about the technology getting better. It used to be that the ball, you said it was coming out of the hand. Well, the old guns didn't really get it immediately as it was leaving your fingertips. It was about 10 or 15 feet after it had left your hand that it would pick it up. So that mm. again is a little bit slower. So now they're actually getting it the moment that it's leaving the guy's hand. So you know, that might add another mile or two. So that being said, I think the guns are, are hotter than they used to be back in my day, but I'm not in any way taking away from the fact that, look, these guys are bigger. These guys are stronger. And let's face it, they are, they're training guys more so than ever to throw as hard as they can. And that's another big difference. When I was coming up, look, I could throw 95, 96, but when I was in their starting rotation, they would get mad at me if I was throwing as hard as I could from the very beginning of the game. So what are you doing? You got to save something, right? Yeah. Yeah. You've got to be able, yeah, we expect you to pitch seven to nine innings. Yeah. If you can't, Mm. that's perfectly fine. We've got a spot in the bullpen for you. We're happy to send you down there as (laughs) a long reliever. And now, and the only way to, yeah, go go ahead. ahead, No, 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 you go. Go. I was going to say, so, and so you had to pitch. Look, I I would work at 91, 92, and you would save that 95, 96 for that key clutch moment when you needed it. Okay. Sixth inning, second and third, game on the line. Now I've got something to rear back on and show the hitter a little something different. So we were taught how to change speeds, how to pitch a little bit more. Nowadays, look, if you can throw 96, why don't you do it every pitch? 
we don't need to we don't need to save you because we're going to just burn you out for four or five innings. Right. And then we'll, we're going to go to the bullpen. We'll mm-hmm. bring in another guy that throws 96 to 98 miles an hour. So it's a very different philosophy in terms of what they're asking of young pitchers to be able to do nowadays. It, and, and so you're getting more guys that can throw hard because they're being told that's what we want you to do. And we want you to do it all the time. But with that, it brings up the other point that you guys made, which is how does that body hold up with that? And I think, you know, we're seeing the results of that. We're seeing yeah. more surgeries. We're seeing more Tommy John's and we're seeing that it does put more strain on the human body. So it's an interesting change that's going throughout the game and we'll see how it all plays out. Do you think the pitchers like a, like a Greg Maddox, um, do you think those type of pitchers in 2019, and who knows, maybe we will eventually revert back to uh, that type of pitching where it was a thinking man's pitching and just you kept the pit, the batters off balance. Do you think those type of pitchers are more of a dying breed if you don't have that upper echelon fastball? I think it is getting tougher and tougher for those guys to exist. And it's sad because I think one of the things that I've always loved about the game and granted I'm jaded because a former pitcher, but to watch a man have the craft of being and going out there and saying, this is my game and I'm going to go out there and I'm going to, I'm going to show you how you pitch through a lineup the third and fourth time. Um, And I learned so much from being with Greg in Chicago for a couple of years in terms of how to do all that, how to analyze hitters, how to look at what they're doing early in the game, late in the game, runners on base, uh, you know, whatever the situation may be. And there was a true art to it. Um, and I think we're losing some of that. And the other part of it is I think that it's partly because baseball is not allowing these guys to even be that anymore. Right. Uh, you know, this whole thing with the, with the opener, right? Um, they're not even allowing guys to have to learn how to get through a lineup a third time because if you're on base percentage against or your batting average against goes, goes up, up the third time through, they're saying, well, we're not even going to give you the chance to – to do that anymore. So I hope that it doesn't go that way in the whole game, because I think we're going to lose a real special part of what I've always enjoyed, which is watching the mastery uh, of a pitcher that knows how to go through a lineup multiple times and can, and can do that. There's still some of those guys. And and I think really any organization that doesn't value that is really cheating themselves because by definition, then what they're saying is, well, we're, we're going to put more pressure on our bullpen. And we're going to burn more guys out. There's still such value in having that starting pitcher that every fifth day can go out there and you know he's going to give you a chance to win. He's going to take the pressure off your bullpen. And and I I worked in the bullpen as well. And I believe me, I loved it when it was that guy, you know. (laughs) Hey, I'm going to get a breather that day. And you need it over the course of a a long season. Who who do you like to watch now? Who's who's one of those guys that if if you're not at work – Right, and you're at home, whatever MLB, and you're saying, "Hey, this guy's pitching tonight." Who is that guy in 2019 that you're saying, "Okay, I'm going to be as a pitcher. I love to see him work." Yeah, Scherzer is still one of my favorite guys. He's just such a bulldog. He just goes right after guys. Uh, He's he's fun to watch, and and he pitches, and And he's angry. He's yelling at people. He's yelling at himself. Yep, yep. (laughs) I I love watching him. Uh, Madison Bumgarner is still one of my favorites, and we get to see a lot of him in the National League West. But every time we do, um, it's a treat to watch him do his thing out there. Uh, Clayton Kershaw, and I know that he's been hurt, and he just got hurt again. He's going down. Uh, yeah, you know, I saw that training announcement today that he's going to be missing some time. So, um, but when he's going good in his prime, he's another one that, guy that I that I love to watch. Uh, Corey Kluber, um, less of the power guy, pure power is some of the other guys. So there, there's still guys out there that that do it, and I'm sure I'm missing some names. And forgive me, I'm not trying to insult anybody, um, but it's becoming, you know 
rarer to, to see those guys and more common now to see, okay, let's get five innings out of this guy and go to the bullpen. I don't know. I, I hope we don't lose that part of the game. Well, and your National League Cy Young Award winner, uh, Jacob deGrom, has been one of those type of players. Oh, I, I've, I've seen yeah. him so much with the Mets. And that's a team that, I mean, he had zero run support and had one of the uh, iconic seasons last year. And he's a fun player to watch also, uh, along with the guys that you mentioned. But like you said, there's he, a, he there's a, a handful of guys. Yeah, go ahead. He, he was a freak yeah. of nature. I mean, he was actually a guy watching this year, and I'm glad you brought him up because I, forgive me for forgetting him, um, but I only saw him pitch, for, I think, once this year. But the, the point is, he blows cheese from the first pitch of the game to the last pitch of the game. And it is just this life, this late, just ride and life on his fastball, whether he's down in the zone or up in the zone. And he just brings it. He's coming at you from the first pitch to the last pitch. Uh, and to watch him just overpower people the way he does over the course of a ball game. And I'm not saying he's just a thrower because he locates. And he did. I mean, the first time it was all fastballs, they're not catching up. That's what I'm going with. Yeah. And then in around the fourth or fifth inning, he starts seeing a few more sliders and he starts pitching a little more. So, uh, but just a, a great example. He reminds me a little bit of Pedro Martinez and I mm. early on in Pedro's yeah. career in terms of just the raw stuff. Um, I think Pedro later in his career became one of the most creative pitchers that I ever watched. He's, I think him and Greg Maddox may be my two favorite guys to, to watch. And, and the thing about Pedro was he learned how to pace himself so that he would back off a little early and then flip on his closer switch for the last two innings of the game <laughs> and go from 92, 94, all the way up to 97 and just put it into a different gear. Um, but he, he was really fun to watch. But DeGrom, I think in that same uh, sort of overpowering stuff, able to command it and can come at you for a full nine. So Bob, when you talk about this, uh, what pitchers are able to do, talk a little bit about the relationship between the catcher and the pitcher and how that transpires over the course of eight nine innings and and just what that relationship is like hugely important there was that's that's probably one of the things i miss most about playing when people ask me well you know you miss the clubhouse you miss the guys you miss the all that yeah i miss all that but really that connection that you have when you're locked in with a catcher and you guys are just carving the other team up and you just you're on the same page and you stand yeah. on the mountain and you look in there and you just know He's going to put down a fastball away right here. Yep, there it is. All right, boom. Um, okay, now I know he's going to come back with the slider off the plate. Yep, there. okay, boom. Okay, now fastball. And you guys are just on track with everything. And maybe, you know, you, you're not sure. It's like, okay, we can go either fastball in or slider away. Which one does he want? He wants the slider away. Okay, yeah, okay, let's do that. So there, there's, it's just so fun to have that connection. Um, and, and it's really important, and it makes a big difference. The Padres are lucky with Austin Hedges. Uh, he's turning into one of those guys that can really work with a staff like that. We've got another young catcher here, Francisco Mejia, that just joined the ball club, more offensively oriented. Mm -hmm. He's working on the defensive side of the game. But I think having a guy like Austin Hedges who understands the league, knows how to work with young pitchers, is really important for this young staff. Um, but, the, but the thing that's going on, and I don't know if you guys have an opinion about this, but there's so much analytics in the game right now, mm -hmm. that, that, and there's so much sort of, scripting that goes on before the game even starts uh you know we anticipate that this is how the game's going to go you know we're going to pitch this guy like this and this guy like that and we're going to have the shift on for this guy and we're going to do i get all that and i think there's a, certainly a place for it but i wonder if at times it doesn't become too scripted for guys um right. and especially with catchers because they're told look here's here's how we're going to work and we want you to stick with the plan 
But over the course of a game, the plan is going to change. Right. And the, one of the beautiful things about the best catchers are that they sense that before it even starts to happen. Anybody can look at a chart and say, okay, we're going to go fastballs early and breaking balls late and early, off speed, two strikes, whatever it may be. But when you're seeing how the guy's moving his feet, when you see how his hands are changing, when you see how he takes a swing on a pitch, when you just see how he's reacting to different things, you need to be able to adjust. And I, I hope the catchers are still learning that that feel part of the game. And, and players in general, just the feel of, of the flow, the ebb and flow of the game and not getting too caught up in the script that they're being handed before the game. So uh, something that I think catchers need to be aware of. And again, it's one of those parts of the game that I hope that we're not losing. And that relationship seems to be so, so important. Um, the, the Mariners had a catcher, Mike Zanino, and he's not mm-hmm. with the team anymore. But that was the one thing that he would talk about. And really what he was praised on is his ability to adjust the game within the game mm-hmm. and make sure that not only was he calling the best pitches for the pitcher, but for the second, third time around in the lineup, what can we do now? Because if people were starting to catch on to what they were calling, then he would have that intelligence and ability to switch it up, depending on who was on the mound. So it, that always seemed to me to be that game within the game that I really hope doesn't get lost. I agree with you 100%, Dory. I'm glad you brought that up because really that's the type of thing that doesn't show up on, on a spreadsheet. You know, right. cannot be measured as much in terms of the analytics. Um, and the other part of that, Dory, is not only is it the mechanics of you know how you're calling the game and thinking about the lineup the third and fourth time through, allowing your, your relievers to come in, knowing that you've set them up to succeed by how yes. you've used your starter. Yep. But the other part that happens with all that is, as a pitcher, you, you gain more courage when you know you have a catcher back there that you can depend on. Yes. Those types of things. Yeah. And it may not show up on the radar gun, right? right? It may not show up on the heat chart in terms of where the pitches are, but it sure does show up in terms of that little extra conviction that you have in making that pitch, knowing that I am 100% committed to throwing this pitch and I am convinced it's going to be successful and we are coming at this guy. <laughs> and when you have that confidence and that conviction of what you're doing, you're going to be successful. It, right. it goes back to the old saying we used to hear, it's better to be 100% committed to the quote-unquote wrong pitch than 80% committed to the right pitch. And when you have a catcher back there that you have that confidence in that you were just talking about, that allows you to have that conviction and that commitment to making each pitch and usually you have more success. I have a question for you. Um MLB is starting to look at some changes, right? And I'm pretty sure you're quite aware of the changes. They're talking about pitch clock. They're talking about the DH in the National League um, and so on and so forth. And everyone has an opinion on how to speed the, speed up the game because the attention span of my 19-and-a-half-year-old is about three-and-a-half seconds. And baseball is trying to figure out what to do. What are your thoughts on, one, speeding up the game? And do you like, if you were on the mound as a pitcher, would you like to see a, a pitch clock that's telling you you have to get rid of this ball by a certain point? Because real quick, just and I know you want to answer that, but right now they have a, a serve clock at, uh, in, in tennis matches now that they will get in the, major, in, the, um, in the Grand Prix circuit. So that's already happening in tennis. What's been the response to that, Dory? I'm just curious. In, in another sport. Um, the response to that has been that um, that the players are now having to practice it. So in practice, they have a clock. 
And for some of them, their routine, they're getting penalized in the games because they're still tennis players like baseball players have their routine on what they do on the mound, what they do at the service line and what they Mm. do in the batter's box. And so it's making those players have to adjust their normal routine on what they do. It's like golfers when they go up to hit a, to to hit a driver, right. Or to hit any shot, they have a set routine. So that clock is impacting the routine, which then impacts how they play the game. Yeah, no doubt it's got an effect on baseball. I wasn't sure what the carryover was on the tennis side of things, you know, how routine those those players are, but I'm sure it's in every sport. Everybody's right. got their set way of doing things. But, you know, fundamentally, look, I've always loved that the baseball was the one sport where you didn't need a clock, right? And so to, to bring one into the game just by nature kind of makes me cringe a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um you know, that being said, obviously, we're trying to find ways to speed up the game. And if, if this helps do that, then so be it. I, I think it, it's not going to be as, as big a factor as people think. Because most of these guys now in the minor leagues are already getting exposed to it. They have the pitch clocks down there. Okay. So it's already speeding guys up. And so they're getting here already sort of having been trained to work faster than some of the you know, previous generation, the, the Steve Traxels of the world, that <laughs> would take forever. <laughs> so I don't, I don't think it's going to be. A huge uh, I think he just and, threw his second pitch from uh, 2002. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I, I don't think that's going to be a, a, a huge factor. I think in general, guys are going to try to speed up, but, but I think it does affect both as you're saying. And, and you know what the crazy thing about it is guys, there have been rules in baseball forever in terms of speeding up the game the problem has been the umpires really haven't enforced them oh so to a certain extent if the umpires would just sort of enforce some of the rules that have already been in place we might not have as many of these problems to begin with so but we'll see how it goes of all of all the new changes that they're they're talking about that's probably the the least offensive i would say oh okay what do you think's at the top of the list well one that bothers me is the whole thing about having pitchers come in and having to face three batters I, I, I that that's know. crazy. I hope that never happens. That's I hope it crazy. never happens as well. I I think it's actually be it'll it'll achieve the exact opposite of what it's right. intended to do. How does it speed up the game to have a pitcher out there who it, doesn't have his stuff and now has to face three batters in the middle of the lineup? All he's going to be doing is watching the balls go in the gap and backing up third base as the game turns into a blowout. I don't know that we've really sped things up and certainly not made the game any more enjoyable. The other thing that, that comes into play in that, there are a lot of times over the course of the season, guys, where it, when I was working in the pen, maybe I'd pitch three days in a row and Skip would come up to me, hey, Scan, you know, can, can, what do you got today? And I'd tell him, look, Skip, you know, maybe I've gotten out. I can probably give you one batter you know, if, if you really mm. need me in a clutch yep. situation. Well, all of a sudden, if, if you've had a couple of long games in a row and your pen is short, you might have two, two guys, two or three guys that you can't go to because they can't give you three. Right. That's a great example. So, that is great. Yeah. And so, and then Dennis, doesn't it change also the strategy and and uh, what managers have to do and for it would make the managers have to make more moves. No, less moves, sorry. They'd have to make fewer moves and so I think it takes the strategy out of the game as well. Yeah, and that's the other part about bringing in the DH and again, I'm I'm all for strategy. I love that there's a chess match going on between the 
the pitchers and the hitters, between the managers on both sides, between the catchers and the, you know all the stuff that goes on. I love that. I love the intricacies that go on. And and I, to me, the dumbing down of, of that part of it would yeah. really be a, a big loss. I, I hope that doesn't happen. So I, I'm fundamentally against type anything that takes away from the thinking and the strategy that that goes into it. So as a pitcher, let me ask you something. Let's say you got your A game going on and you're in the sixth inning and you're rolling along, you've given up one run, maybe you're up about 90 pitches, but you're feeling great. Like today's the day, everything's kind of clicking and you're coming up next or in that one, two, three spot where you're supposed to bat. And now the coach takes uh, the ball out of your hand because he wants to get a, a pinch hitter up because they're down by one run. Do you still feel the same? Yeah, I went through that plenty of times, and my thought was, well, two things. First of all, pitch better. If you don't like it, <laughs> you got you got to you got to get your players to uh, your teammates to start hitting some uh, and getting some runs going. Yeah. And for those I, of I you that don't know, that. big yeah, we're talking Big Bob, and when I say Big Bob, I mean Tall Bob. Like we're talking six ten, right? Uh, six six eight, but I could not hit, Dory. I'm not going to lie. I had no skills at the plate, so I knew I was going to get pinch hit for. But that's the other part of it is like, okay, you got to be able to handle the bat. And, and coming up in the Philly organization, which is where I came up through the minor leagues, uh, and they gave me a great baseball foundation and education. I'm forever grateful to that organization for what I learned mm. coming up. Um, but, you know, you had to handle the bat. You had to be able to bunt, and you worked yeah. on it. And they would tell us, look, if you want to stay in the game, if you don't want to get pinch hit for then work on your hitting. Be better at that. Uh, so, you know, it was part of the game. And we, would you get pissed off sometimes? Sure. Yeah, there'd be some times where, you, you know, you're getting it taken out of your hand. You're like, that sucks. But at the same time, <laughs> you know, it's it, it's part of the yeah. game and it's part of the whole strategy of it. And Would, would you be um, opposed or for the fact if you did interleague games, which now is interleague games is such a big part of the season now, before it was a... It was gimmicky, right? When it first started, it was very gimmicky, and it was kind of a fun way. And the only way you would have interleague games were in the World Series. And now it's a it's a part of the baseball season. Do you think it's fair um, that if you're in a National League park and an American League team comes in, that now they have to hit when they ha- they don't practice it, they have nothing to yeah. do with it? Or would you be happy with a universal like, okay, if we're doing interleague, let's do DH, but don't touch the national league. We're not doing DH, but when it comes to interleague, you know, we could do we could do DH. What what are your thoughts on that? It's funny when that when the whole interleague thing started, my first thought was, wow, this is really going to favor the national league. And the reason I thought that was because the American League team is still going to want their slugger in the lineup. They're going to be forced to put somebody into the game defensively who isn't capable or hasn't played very much out there, and that's going to hurt them. Um, but obviously the opposite has turned out to be true. It seems like the American League has more or less, I won't say dominated, but they've been more successful against National League teams. Um, I'm not convinced that it's because of the DH. It just seems like they've had more slugger-oriented teams in the American League in general. You've lost um, some players. Uh, remember Ching-Ming Wong? He blew out his, um, I forgot, what, his leg or tore his hamstring. He was never the same pitcher. I know uh, Tanaka got hurt last year playing interleague, and obviously there's other pitchers that are just not used to having the bat, and they don't, God knows if they can run a couple of feet up to first base without <laughs> blowing out a hamstring. So yeah. it's been really interesting, and, and I know that's part of the argument from the AL side to say, hey, we, we just don't want our pitchers with, with the bat in their hand and have anything to do with this because we don't practice it, 
And if you come out of college, obviously Tanaka is different. He came from overseas. But if you come out of college uh, where you're going from aluminum bats and then you go into the American League and you never never bat and all of a sudden you got a wood bat in your hand for one of the interleague games, it, it, it does become concerning for – for that player, and I feel stupid talking about this, right? Because who doesn't remember as a kid growing up? Who doesn't remember playing and, and getting a bat? And that's the the best part of it. Whether you're a pitcher or a baseball player, you know, just having fun swinging the bat. And but these guys don't practice it after a certain while when they know that they're going to become pitchers and they're not going to hit. Yeah, a lot of good points and a lot of different topics there. So with regards to. <laughs> So to answer your, your previous question, really, if you have to have interleague play, then I would propose you actually play by the opposite league's rules in your home ballpark. So in other Ooh. words, the National League team that the Padres were playing the Orioles, for example, mm-hmm. I would say in Petco Park, why not play by the American League rules so that the National League fans get a chance to like see that. a different style of baseball? That's fun. Uh, that, that's, so if you're going to have that. That Bob, that's said, a no-brainer. Like, that's a no-brainer. Call Major League Baseball. Fun. Call call the commissioner, man. That is <laughs> um, a no-brainer. I love it. They, I, I'm not I'm not the inventor of that by any means. I'm sure it's already been kicked around a lot in the front offices for whatever reason they're choosing not to do that. But call I, I him. think that if you're going to do that, why not do that? The, the whole interleague thing, to me, I could, I'm perfectly fine without it to begin with. The reason they did it originally was so that fans in both leagues could see, you know, players from the other side but there's so much free agency now it seems like right. at some point you're going to get a chance to see guys yeah and i wonder if, if you didn't have interleague play would you actually bring back more life to the all-star game and more intensity to the postseason because these teams have not seen each other all year so i don't know i, I know it's probably here to stay because it still generates more revenue for for the game when those interleague games go on so it's probably hmm. not going anywhere as far as the hitters not getting as much practice an interesting thing is going on in that it's not just the American League pitchers that are not getting enough hitting time to be prepared. What's happening is that the, the National League minor league players are also not getting enough at-bats. So when they come to the league, they're completely unprepared. They, don't, they play by the DH in A-ball and double-A. It's not until triple-A that guys actually are forced to start handling the bat at all. The, the, and if you spend some time in AAA, that's fine. But we had an interesting situation this year where because we're a younger team and we're bringing up guys more quickly, mm-hmm. we had a couple of guys who came up from AA and didn't have any experience handling the bat at all for the previous four years of their minor league experience. And so they got up to the big leagues and they're literally learning how to bunt. Oh, my so, God. You know, it's it's it, because... if you're going to allow it. Just, so so my, my only point is. To your point, Will, yes, th- this is a problem in terms of not only American League pitchers not being ready, but we're even seeing National well, League kids yeah. now because they're not being allowed to hit in the minor leagues. Because it was probably, what, Little League or maybe Babe Ruth the last time they had a bat in their hand and were laying down a yep. bunt? Yep, or high school. High school. Some yeah. of them maybe played college. Some of them yeah, high school or been... if they went into college. And that's, I mean, Bob, we could do, we, we could do like 10 shows with you. On baseball. I know we could. I absolutely know we could. Will has a really cool thing here called fair or foul. Will, we're going to do fair or foul? Yeah, yeah. And then I have, a, I have. before we get to that, I just have, okay. I, I, I want to wrap it up for here. I, I, we appreciate Bob Scanlon, uh, former Major League Baseball uh, pitcher and uh, San Diego Padres and Fox Sports uh, reporter to uh, join us. Um, before we move on to that, just real quick, 
Is it concerning for you as a former baseball player? Uh, we've never seen it before, except for the last couple seasons now, that free agents are still not signed. And for a Machado to get, finally get signed, we haven't seen Harper, a Keuchel, a Kimbrel. And we're talking about just the top players, not even the other players that haven't been signed. Is that mm-hmm. concerning for you? And what are your thoughts on the way free agency and the negotiations are happening between the players and the organizations? Oh, wow. As Dory just said, we could we could do an hour on that alone. Um, so as a former representative of the Players Association, I was a member of the executive board. So I, I certainly have seen the the thought and the inner workings of how all this stuff is put together, how it's uh, you know sort of evaluated from both sides. And there's always a concern uh, from the players side, frankly, that, you know, collusion could be taking place. Right. Um, this generation has never experienced it. I had a chance to see it as I was coming up through the minor leagues. The, the guys that I were playing with went through that. I watched Andre Dawson not be able to get a contract. You know, I heard the stories of some of the stuff that was going on and the way the owners handled it at that point. It was so ham fisted. It was so obvious yeah. uh, what was going on. Uh, that it was an easy slam dunk case for the players association to get restitution. Um, that being said, you know, anytime something kind of shakes, you know, questionable goes on in the markets, you know, people want to quickly throw out the collusion word. I don't know that that is necessarily going on, but I certainly understand why the players association would be you know, very concerned about the trend over the last couple of years. The bottom line is guys have ended up getting signed. Manny Machado, you know, the Padres, a small market club went out and, and, got him every dollar that everybody expected him to get. Yep. Um, and, and so the question I think kind of becomes, what are all the elements? Um, you know, with, with, with Harper and Machado, not only do you have a very unique situation with two guys at 26 years old, you know, very uniquely trying to, to push the market. You also have two agents who have egos that are, that are not wanting Boris, to, to bigger sign. than than anybody. Yeah, and Dan Lozano, who's been in, the, in mm-hmm. baseball for many, many years himself. And you know, I think they've got a, 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 a sort of a public grudge against each other. So neither team wanted to, uh, wanted to budge. Um, so you have that element in there as well. But also, I think the, the whole landscape is changing in terms of how teams are evaluating players. And I think mm-hmm. with all the metrics that are going on, it's become very numbers-based. And I think, you know, early on, there were some teams that were more into that than others. But at this point, everybody's got an analytics department, everybody. And, and so what happens is everybody starts evaluating the players very similarly. And, you know, before what used to move markets was an owner just saying, I want the player. And so the front office said, okay, the ownership wants the player and, you know, price be damned. He, he yeah. wants them. And so let's throw some money at him and we'd get him. You're seeing less and less of that, I think. I think it's. It, it, I'm not trying to say that ownership still doesn't have a say. Obviously, anytime you're spending three hundred million dollars on a player, <laughs> hey, ownership's involved, and they're and they're keeping an eye on things. But I think they're much more um, careful with how they do it, and they listen a lot more to their 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 baseball operations people in terms of how is this player evaluated, you know? And they and a lot of it's done by war now, and a lot of it's put on okay, what yep. every win above replacement that a player brings, they've determined it's got about an eight million dollar value, and and all the teams are wow. sort of looking at it that way. So you have less of a variance in terms of what a team is willing to pay guys, and so I, I think that that's a factor as well, um, along with you know just a changing of the mentality of look, we've got a young guy that we can pay the major league minimum, or we have this veteran guy that we're going to have to pay more. And now that we're evaluating players the same, 
let's take a look. And what do the numbers tell us? Well, the war is about the same for this 30 year old guy versus this 22 year old guy. Let's go with the 22 year old. And now the, the aging veteran is getting squeezed out and we don't see as many of those guys signing or they're signing for a lot less. Is that right? Is it wrong? I don't know. I, I do know that there's, again, this unmeasurable value that a veteran guy can bring to a ball club yep. that doesn't always show up on a spreadsheet. Um, and at the same time, a lot of times the, the veteran player may be overrated in terms of what they think, as we talked about earlier, right? Like, oh, right. veteran guy, he's a great leader. Well, sometimes that's a bunch of crap. Right. You know, the guy's just old. <laughs> he's not going to be a good leader. <laughs> so I, I think there's a, a, a changing in, in terms of how the entire um, landscape is with how teams are looking at players, how they're evaluating players, how they're putting a price on that value. And, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out because the next collective bargaining agreement, I think the Players Association um, is going to have to listen to their constituency and, and s- determine who they're going to protect. Are they going to protect the older guy, the younger guy? Um, and how do you go about doing that? Do they need to change the structure of how free agency is handled in the offseason to keep guys from waiting too long to get signed? Because it doesn't serve anybody, does it? No. It doesn't serve a player to be sitting around all season. It doesn't serve the teams to not have their roster set. And we've seen that guys that show up very late to spring training oftentimes struggle over the course of the year because as much as players bitch and moan about how long spring training is, the bottom line is when they when the spring training gets shortened on those guys, they usually tend to struggle over the course or, of the season. Or get hurt, right? Catch up. Yeah, yep, or get exactly. hurt. So, so yep. what do you see, I mean, for Bryce Harper, wh- where do you think he would be a good fit? And, and what team do you think would benefit most by his signing Bryce Harper? San Diego Padres, of course. Boom. I was hoping you'd say that. I was hoping you would say that. Like, I can't oh. think of a better fit. Who wouldn't want to have Manny and Bryce on the same team? Bring it on. I, hey. I know the Padre fans wouldn't complain. So. It, it, it's not Bob's hey. money, so he don't care. He's like, yeah, let's no, spend man. it, baby. Yeah, let's hey, do look, this. I, I'm, even, I'm even willing to give back my half of Manny Machado signing bonuses. If it'll help him get <laughs> you, better not, you better not let wifey hear that. She's going to be like, that's no, you're not. Player. Yeah, that's true. My wife will do <laughs> not be too much about Yeah, we have one kid in college, and uh, you have one, one in college and one headed to college shortly. I'm pretty sure Elisa's yeah. like, uh, babe, no, we- stop with the talk of giving the money away we're keeping manny signing bonus i know <laughs> all right we're so that. listen we've had you long enough i've got oh. about 10 other things i'd love to go through but uh hopefully you'll join us well, another let's do day. it again sometime yeah that'll oh. be great so real quick love. what's the what's the best baseball mascot ever philly fanatic the philly fanatic Ooh. all right let's see the fanatic the, is the best he, and that close second obviously is the san diego chicken okay but the fanatic is is amazing <laughs> All right, so here we go. The Padres have had four all-star uh, third basemen. Last one was in 2001. Can you name any of the four all-star third basemen that the Padres have had? Oh, my gosh. Chase Headley? Nope. Is that one? Nope. Chase Headley never – what? He never made the all-star team? No. Should huh. have. I think it was a slight. The last one was in 2001. Oh geez, I was I was busy playing in two thousand. Ken Caminiti. Oh, there you go. Ding 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 ding. Yeah, winner, he was, winner, chicken dinner. He was in ninety six and ninety seven. Yes, so there it is. Oh, he wasn't even the two thousand one. Oh, no, uh, Phil Nevin was two thousand one, and then uh, most fans okay. are not going to remember that Gary Sheffield came up in the organization. He was in ninety two, and then going back to eighty five, Greg Nettles. So, so most mm. people are going to remember those guys in so, in, in in the stripes. Yeah, and a, hopefully, as New York Yankees. and hopefully Machado will be 
the fifth player for the San Diego Padres. So that's why we kind of bring it up. And then the last but not least, uh, just because we'll keep it short with you here, what's your favorite band? Favorite band? Um, uh, if I have to go old school, I'll go The Doors. If I have to go um, grunge, I'll go Rage Against the Machine. And Nirvana's in there as well. So I've got I've got a few in there. Nice. Nirvana and, and uh, uh, Corbain, Kirk, uh, Kirk Cobain. just uh, two days ago was his uh, 25th anniversary of him passing away. So it's it's uh, funny mm. that you mentioned that. Uh, obviously not funny, but that you mentioned Ironic. that. Ironic. Yeah. And, I wasn't uh, aware of that. And it's, uh, it's just, uh, you know, being in, here in Seattle and great music town, so all great bands. I am a huge Rage Against the Machine uh, fan. Allison so. Change, too. Allison Change. Oh. Love those guys, yeah. All right, yeah. so hopefully we'll find somebody that's still alive here that you'll like, so. Well, well if, we're talk- <laughs> <laughs> if we're talking about huge fans, I'm a huge fan of our guest, Bob Scanlon. Bob Scanlon. Huge fan. Thank you so much, Thanks, Bob, guys. for being with us. Huge fan of you guys, too. Keep up the great work. Thanks hey, for inviting me to we, talk some ball with you tonight. We want to let all our fans know. Check him out on Twitter at HeyScan. Um, he needs plenty of assistance and uh, suggestions to get that ice off his windshield. So just go ahead and tweet him about 15,000 times. He'll answer all of them. He'll love you for it. Because there's supposed to be another freeze tonight. Hey, Bob, what, th- this just in from the Weather Channel. Another freeze in sunny Arizona tonight. Go get some rain Hey, you know what? Here's the thing. It's a rental car, so the hot water's going to work just fine. <laughs> we love you, Bob. Thank you, buddy. All right, guys. Take love care. Love you, Bob. Take care. Bye. Bye. That was Bob Scanlon. Thank you for taking the time with us and joining us. And, oh, my gosh, so much to go over. Um, we that just really man. appreciate him. And um, wh- wh- that was a lot of fun. That man. That was a like lot of fun. that man. People. As as good as you think he is on the air, he's an even a more amazing person and, and human being on this planet. So, I, yeah. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Oh, what? Thank you, Bob. What about Bob? Well, we really appreciate him. What a great show. Um, we went over a lot of topics. I had so many other things. I, I, I realized how much I really love baseball. I really do. I, I love the game yeah. of baseball. And... Um, I could talk baseball for a long time, and I have a lot of questions, especially, you know, I'd love to talk to him next time about where the game's going, technology, how to bring in some of the newer fans, how to grow the game of baseball in communities, so on and so, more, uh, so, on and so forth. Yeah. So I have a lot of things I would love to uh, talk to him about, and we will get to that. We didn't want to keep him anymore. He had been with us for so much, uh, for so long at this point. But a uh, great show and very exciting times. If you're a Padres fan, if you live in San Diego, if you're excited about your team, um, go get some tickets. And, um, and we're going to work ourselves. We're going to try to figure out a way to get down there. I know Dory gets down there uh, a lot to San Diego. Yep. I am going to do my best to get down there. I would love to catch a game and just go down to San Diego. There's some friends down there. love to see also. So it might be a really fun weekend and uh, get a chance to uh, catch up with Bob. Although I need one those step stools because he's so big <laughs> he is, and me at five six, nine i think uh, i'm shrinking every yeah. day 
So I, I'll figure it out. I'll, I'll work on that. Get a, what we call a, a cherry box. It's one of these boxes you, you stand next to the talent when you're short, <laughs> and they, uh, they shoot you with these, uh, you know, with you know, waist up or a bus shot, so they don't realize how short you are. So I'll, I'll, I'll work on that. Maybe I'll have a portable one. But a, a lot of fun tonight, and uh, we can't thank uh, Bob Scanlon, uh, San Diego Padres. Uh, and uh, Fox Sports reporter and former Major League Baseball player to be with us tonight. And remember, go check him out on his Twitter at HeyScan. Uh, he wants all your suggestions on how to get that ice off his windshield. And, and Bob, we will have Bob again and baseball season. I'm excited now for baseball season. We're yeah. in the middle of, of players getting ready for the draft and the combine and everything else, but it's feeling like uh, time for some baseball, yeah. especially after talking with Bob Scanlon with the San Diego Padres. Thank you, Bob. You're listening to NYCNYSEA. We're talking sports and a whole lot more. We appreciate Bob Scanlon uh, taking time out of his busy schedule to be with us. A lot of fun. We're out. Come on! Oh!